My name is Carol. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, to qualify for, for the newcomers and people who don't know me, um, my top weight is somewhere around 325 pounds, and I have um, 40 years of abstinence. So that, that's my abstinence. Is, um, for the first 18 years like that was um, I don't eat sugar, I don't eat flour. I didn't eat, um, I ate three meals a day and nothing in between. Um, then I started taking these medicines and then it was turned my gut, so I started, uh, I now just eat whenever I want. Um, and I don't eat sugar and flour. So I don't have a, I don't have a meal restriction. But for the first 18 years, it was vitally important. At least for the first 10 years, it was vitally important for me to have an end, a start, a start and an end to my food because Otherwise, it would just go on. And every now and then, some days today, I, I mean, I still have some food that kind of goes like, oh, okay, I'm seem to be a little grazing. But, it, you know. Um, so, let's kind of talk a little bit about this morning. Um, this is the way, my, this is why I think the program works in my life. This morning's not gone the way I wanted it to go. Bottom line. Um, I got up this morning, I went to the gym, for some reason the gym was closed, there was people sitting outside, so I waited there for a couple minutes and I went home, because I was going to do my workout this morning, so I wound up having to go home and do my exercises, my physical therapy instead of doing it, like, anyway. So then I come, you know, I do that, then I'm coming to this meeting, and I was scheduled to speak like in two weeks. My, my sponsor, the secretary, apparently said, Oh, did you get my message that I want you to speak this morning? The person who's going to supposed to speak this morning is supposed to be speaking into this switch because the person's sick. Now, that could really throw someone off, right? It could really, like, just really mess up your day where you're going like, Oh, my God, it's not going, like, and I, it's not going as I planned and blah, blah, blah. You know? Or you can just go like, this is life. This is what life is about, right? This is just showing up for life and being present and being aware for it. And they're going like, what it doesn't make any difference, right? It's just, you know, one of my, I think one of my most favorite spiritual sayings is, oh well. Like, you know, oh well. Because otherwise I get this emotional investment that how my life is supposed to look like and what it's supposed to be, right? And as compulsory readers, we really can run with that. Like, like, I like to call this the disease of what if. Like, or if only. You know, if only it would have been differently. I mean, I like to say that, you know, that my problem is I, that I was born to this alcoholic, in this alcoholic family in Oklahoma City. And, you know, there was divorce by the age of four in my family in the in late 50s, which was not heard of. I should have been born in horse country in Connecticut, and my name should be Biff. That, right? Then my life would be better. Then I wouldn't have the issues. I wouldn't have problems. Maybe you don't get that, but that's how my thinking goes, right? If only I was born in horse country in Connecticut, and my, you know, my girlfriend was Buffy, and my name is Biff, and, you know, we're like, you know, we're playing ping pong at the country club, but that's not my life. I grew up in this alcoholic family that was dysfunctional, that it was like, I was destined for a 12-step program, or, or death, or, you know, 
a heroin addict like my sister, an overachiever as my oldest brother is, because, you know, we're an alcoholic family and you can literally do the birth order for, for children of an alcoholic, fam- of alcoholic family. And so I was the quiet child. And I found that if I ate, I disappeared. And the more, I, the more I ate, the more I disappeared, and the more I wanted to disappear. I didn't want to be on this planet. I didn't want to be in life. I mean, suicide was a, was a regular thought of mine. It really was like, and, and I talk about this, but it's really the truth is that suicide for me was going to do you the favor. And that's the reason why I was going to kill myself, to make your world better. Because, because I was such a blight on this planet. Now, I'm a 17-year-old boy, eight, I mean, 15-year-old boy, you know, and I didn't bring my picture because I didn't realize I was speaking this morning, but, I mean, literally, it's like, you know, and my life was not, I was not being, you know, out there causing problems. It was all internal, which is one of the things I think is different between alcoholics and compulsive readers. Okay, so I'm going to be very clear. I'm an opinionated old-timer. So some things I'm going to say are my opinions. If you can't find it in the big book, then it's not, then it's not OA. So just be aware of this, okay? And if it's your first meeting, just be aware that, okay, this is going to be like, this was an opinionated person who's been around over, he's done almost for over 40 years, and I just have my own opinions, right? So this is not the big book. But I believe alcoholics are different than compulsory views because alcoholics are a bit more out there, with the disease, while compulsory are more in here with the disease. So we turn it kind of more on ourselves. You don't have to argue with me because it's not in the big book, so I can't defend it, but it's just my own personal opinion. So, um, and the opinions expressed here today are my own and not in the book as a whole. But anyway, so my, so, so my disease was all about destroying me. And and I, and I don't know what happened, but, you know, it was, it just wanted not to be here. So, you know, and stuffing food is stuffing our face, which is stuffing down emotions, which is stuffing down feelings, so I could live another day. And literally it would be like, a, I mean, my binge, my, I don't know if it's my binges, but when I was a kid, to deal with life is I would grab some raw spaghetti and go run the bathroom and eat it. And the reason why I ate the dried spaghetti, not because it was my favorite thing in the world, but because it was not counted in the household, right? My alcoholic fa- stepfather would go like, like if I went for the ice cream, and I, my brother is also a compulsive reader, who also was probably hitting the same ice cream I was hitting. And so literally, and you know, like, you, and you, went, you never take like a, you would never take a, you know, a bowl of it. You would just sliver off a little off the top. Right, just thinking no one noticed. But you know, my, then my stepfather, after having the ice cream in there for a week, would go and want ice cream, and there'd be no, like, this much ice cream, and he'd be like, want the ice cream, and we're going, like, nah, and we're both like over 300 pounds. Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's like, how insane do you think that that is? Like, literally. And I mean, the good news is that um, because of my, my parents didn't wind up going to AA. And by then being in AA, I found out about OA. So it's my first OA meeting when I was 17. And I, I like to tell the story because it really is part of my story. When I went to my first OA meeting, the one thing I got was there was this, one, this man spoke and said he'd lost 100 pounds and was keeping it off. And that gave me hope. And 
Because at 17 years old, I was a hopeless boy. I was, I, I knew, uh, the thought had crossed my mind that I had, before I went to OA, that I had, I was going to graduate from high school. That I had just wasted four years of high school and two years of junior high and six years of elementary school because I was fat. Now, that, just, just in that thought process, that I had wasted my life because I was fat. There's something, some stinking thinking about that. Then I was going to go to college. I was about ready to go to college. I was going to be fat in college. That's four years. I was going to waste my life again. And then I knew that I was going to be fat the rest of my life, so it's just my entire life was going to be a waste. Now, that's how I walked in the doors of Orizonomis. Hopeless that my life was useless because I was fat and there was no hope for me. I knew I was going to be fat the rest of my life. But at my first going meeting, I found out I didn't have to be fat the rest of my life. And that, there were, it, that I, it wasn't this moral issue. It wasn't because I was, oh, I don't know, because I just couldn't get pushed by somewhere from the table. It wasn't a matter of me being like, well, why don't I just get some willpower? You know, I come from the, my family's in the South, so you get some backbone. Get some backbone, right? So why don't you get some backbone and just stop eating? Like, why don't I just stop eating? That's what you're supposed to do, right? I was told the best exercise was to push yourself away from the table, Right? Like, that's, that's the mentality, and that's what we come in with. Like, oh, you're broken because you can't do it, right? Or, you, you're, like, there's something wrong with you. But it's, it was a different type of being wrong, right? When I came to Obisonomis, I felt like, yes, I am broken. But there is a solution. And it's not because I don't have backbone. It's not because I don't have willpower. It's because I may have an addiction, and I discovered at a very early, early age, the fudge sickle made my, made my life better. Literally, when I was four or five years old, I discovered fudge sickle. And that really changed my life. And so what happened was, I found out that I was addicted to food, that I was using food as a substance to take away the emotions and feelings. And so I, went to, I started going to Overzanamas when I was 17. And I lost about 125 pounds, 150 pounds, in probably about six months. You know, and the reason why that happened was because I was a 17-year-old boy working on a, a graduate from high school. I was working on a shipping and loading dock, lifting mag rims, and I was eating two eggs and an orange for breakfast. Right? I mean, if you cut your food down tremendously and you exercise a lot, you're going to lose weight. I mean, that's just, you know, and that's the friggin' horrible thing about this disease is that law of nature is true for every one of us and we don't like it that's the one thing we probably have one of the biggest resentments about like why can't I eat everything I want whenever I want as much as I want and not gain an ounce of gain any weight <coughs> really I mean if we could all do that we'd probably go like well I don't even know no ovaries you know I'm just meeting I'm just going to be out there having a good time right but then we pay the consequences and then if you've been around here, after you've come for this vanity, and start saying for the vanity, you'll go like, oh, oh, I got this really screwed up thinking. Like, I really don't think right. And that's when Obrizomas kicks in. Because in the beginning, when you walk in, you can say, oh, here's a great food plant. Right? And you can walk into any place. You can get a great food plant anywhere. And that's why I like to say the solution is not in finding the perfect food plant. Because every food plan that you find will work. As long as you cut back on the calories, 
or exercise a bit more and not get and become an exercise bulimic like some people, you know, or go like I'm going to be anorexic and not eat anything all day long, which is, I mean, I get that concept like if I just don't start, that's worry about stopping. And that's one of the biggest, that's, that's one of the biggest things, right? I mean, I had a, a thought of that where, you know, I, you know, I, did, I didn't really want to eat, start breakfast. Because I knew if I started breakfast, then that would, might lead to something else. So if you can just push it off, just push off eating for a little while longer, just push off eating for a little while longer, then maybe, you know, then at 2 o'clock in the morning, or 10 o'clock in, at night, something like that, you can binge because you save some calories. Of course, then the next morning you wake up, and of course you're not really that hungry because if you're like me, I would have nine or ten donuts at two o'clock in the morning as I'm driving home from Studio One up here, which is I get to go, which is the, the, which now the factory or whatever it is now called, and which is going to become a hotel, and it's like oh my god. Anyway, I digress. So, um, so th- that's where I lost the weight. But you know, if you don't, I get, yeah, this is probably I'm probably in the big book somewhere, not written these words. But if you don't treat the symptoms, if you don't treat the reasons why you overate, or why you use digital compulsive food behavior, if you don't treat that, you're going to eat again, or you're going to go back to those compulsive. Because we say, and this this is the concept of this overeaters anonymous. It's like we eat because we need to, for, to satisfy this addiction that we have. And the, this feeling that we have is that we, food would be a tool or an instrument to help me cope with life. And we use that tool, in as, as a compulsive overeater, we use that tool to cope with life. What Overeaters says is we give you other tools to cope with life. And those tools have been given to me so that I can cope with life on a daily basis, regardless of whether I, my gym is closed or not, regardless of whether I'm speaking or not, regardless of whether it takes me an hour to get home to Santa Monica last night, if, you know, and deal with friggin' traffic, right? Because I mean, that's one of the biggest things that would cost anyone to get up, my, my, like, like just let me go home and get a donut or something like that, right? Or let me stop along the way. Um, but anyway, so that's why my that's that's why I, after 40 years I'm still an overseas anonymous. Because I, this brain is still a compulsory brain. I'm sorry, Renew. You don't get to graduate. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, but you know what? If you hang out with that people and have a good time, and you're like, you know, and you're like, okay, I get to feel comfortable in my own skin, and I get to have my achieve a normal body weight, sit a normal body weight, and I get to be like, okay with life. Okay, if that means I go to a meeting zone on a regular basis, okay. If that means that I don't have to binge again and have that self-hatred in the morning, or have this self-hatred after the binge, because that's what we promise you here. It says that you never have to binge again. Now, that's a, that's a friggin' miracle. Right? I mean, if you think about that, you never, ever have to binge again. You never have to wake up in the morning after and go like, I hate myself, I want to die. And that's what we promise you. The problem is, you've got to work a friggin' program. You just can't go like, well, I, I stopped eating donuts, so why isn't my life getting better? Well, did you take stock of what your life was about? Did you really look at your character defects? 
did you really reach out for help? Or do you, do you just have that concept of, I got this. Oh, I got this. I'm good. Don't worry about it. No, I'm good. I got this. I'm strong. I can handle this. Right? No. And the Elders Anonymous reads clearly say, no, you ain't got this. If you got this, you wouldn't have been here in the first place. So you walked in the door because you didn't have this. Right? So you can walk out the door because you think you got it. But once you get out there again, you're going to go like, I guess I ain't got it. I'll go back to you. Because once you come to us, we're kind of being like, okay, you're kind of like screwed now. Because <laughs> we're going to plant that idea in your head that like, it's not just because you like the taste of a donut. It's because you like the feeling a donut causes. And that's why you go back to the donuts when you don't want to. When you're stuffing your mouth full of food and you go like, I, I want to stop, I just can't. I mean, you, know, you really are, I mean, if you've been like me, in tears, stuffing my mouth with food. And literally going like, I got, I got, I, and that you can't stop. And that's in our literature, it says that we have this obsession of the mind that says, donuts, donuts, I want a donut, maybe I can stop with the donut, let me get some donuts, donuts. But if I don't stop, take that first bite, the addiction doesn't kick in. And then very sure it's called complaining. So once I take that first bite, I don't have any choice. And that's the thing that I guess that we, we have the choice whether we take up the first bite if we work a program. We don't have the choice after we take the first bite. And we never know when the binge will end. And I, I love the story because... Got it. I love the story. This, this uh, I was doing this retreat, and I talk, said that I never know when the stand will end. And the person raised their hand and said, "I know when the binge will end." I said, "You do?" She said, "Yeah, I always know when the binge will end." Well, end tomorrow, right? Right. So now, um, I should probably talk a little bit about um, God and spiritual life. You know. Um, you can find your own freaking higher power. That's the truth, right? If your higher power is not working for you, but step three, which is made decision to turn my will and my life into a power greater than myself, um, if, if that seems un- uncomfortable for you, if that seems like, oh, I don't know if I can deal with that, well, then change your higher power. Right? I mean, that's what it comes down to. Change your higher power. Because in this program, we get to say, If that higher power isn't working any longer, change it. Can I tell you, I've changed my higher power a lot. A lot in this program. It just keeps evolving and changing. And and it evolved and changed until now I've become an atheist. You know, I'm a firm believer in atheism. I used you know, call me crazy. And I used to, there's a woman who was preceded me many, many years who was an atheist and said she was an atheist from the podium. And I, I was like, oh, she can't say that. That's blasphemy. What about the newcomer? They need to hear about this higher power. So let me tell you about my higher power. My power is peace, love, hope, patience, kindness, acceptance, tolerance, gratitude, and laughter. And when I turn my will and life over the care of those concepts, my life gets better. So, so now you can argue with me about my higher power as much as you want. But when I turn my will and my life over the care of peace, love, hope, patience, kindness, acceptance, tolerance, grateful, and laughter. I don't know. 
I find an internal peace. And isn't that what I really want? What I really want is an internal peace. That's why I ate donuts. Because I was trying to find peace in a substance outside of myself so that I would go like... And I literally would go and I would go to... Oh, by the way, I'm a donut junkie, in case you didn't get it. Um, I mean, I would, I, would go, I, would go, I would go to the donut counter, you know, and those pink glowing lights that was behind the donut counter, an old lady behind the counter who looked like reminded me of my mother or my grandmother's love that I never really felt. But that was where I would, I would go there and I would get my, don, you know, my donuts. And as soon as I had them and I was in the car, I could breathe. I didn't even have to eat them, but I had them. I had them so I knew they were right here, so I could go. And that's the reason why I binged on donuts. Because it gave me this. Then I would eat the donuts, the nine or ten donuts, because, you know, if you eat a dozen donuts, you're a compulsive overeater. But you <laughs> nine or ten. <laughs> I would eat my nine or ten donuts. And, uh, let's be, I also like to make it clear. It's not really donuts, because as you probably all heard me say this, but it's really true. When I'm in my disease, when I have that stinking thinking of a compulsive overeater, I have this thing, little thing called financial insecurity. It has nothing to my financial state, but it has financial insecurity. I don't pay for holes in my food. So I never really bought donuts, nor did I buy Swiss cheese. Because there was something missing. And I wanted at all. So I would buy the apple fritters and so forth. So I'm eating nine or ten bear claws, apple fritters. Yeah, and by the way, if me saying these foods make you want to go eat something, don't be blaming me. You now know there's a solution. You now know there's a way out. You now know that you don't ever have to binge again. And if you walk out the door and go get an apple fritter, because I said apple fritter, it's because you made a decision not to reach out to one of us and say, that friggin' Terrell, he talked about opera fritters and now I want an opera fritter. Right? So you can blame me, but let's look at this. Take your own damn inventory. If you share it with your, with your sponsor, if you ain't got one, get one. So, but after eight, there's nine or ten, you know, pastries, then I would feel like that, that greasy feeling come over and that greasy feeling in the mouth and I'd start hating myself. And then I want to die, and I just want to kill myself because I one more time, I've done it one more time. But if I turn it over to peace, love, hope, kindness, uh, then when I went, after I turn it over, I don't have that greasy feeling, and I don't hate myself. And all I know is I'm comfortable in my own skin. And after 40 years, that's the reason why I'm still here. Thanks for letting me share. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember the opinions of leaders are my own and not those of Overs Anonymous as a whole. When being asked, you may need not, you need not identify yourselves. Uh, please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible in the OA podcast. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Could you talk a little bit about how you sponsor? Um, the question is, how do I sponsor? Well, now or 20 years ago or 30 years ago or like now, I, and I have people I sponsor, I've probably sponsored them for 20 years now, 30 years. 
So it's kind of like, I mean, I mean, so, I mean, they, they call me with a problem. I'm trying to find a spiritual solution. Because the most important sponsor in my life, I mean, I've had several sponsors, but the most important sponsor that I had, she always took me back to God. No matter what, no matter what I said, no matter what I, the problem was, she took me back to God. It wasn't like, okay, so go read this part of the big book. And then, like, it, it wasn't like, okay, I even once asked her, I said, you know, now they give me a friggin' inventory to write about this. And she said, you know the problem. You've got the problem. I mean, this is after 20 years or something like that. She's like, you've got the problem. Now it's time for you to be in the solution. Go to God. So what I try to do with all my sponsees is I'm trying not to be their therapist. I'm trying not to be their... their I mean, to me, my, my, my concept is I'm a spiritual mentor. My job is to take them back to God. Whatever their God is. Now, as an atheist, sometimes I kind of go like, what? What are you talking about? Pray and do all this. But you know what? I pray. I meditate. But the higher power that I pray and meditate to, it might be completely different than what my sponsees pray and meditate to. So that's why I use the common language, common word of God. Right? I use the common word of God. And sometimes when I get questions about atheism and why, you know, I go, okay, so then use my God. Turn, you know, turn this problem over to peace, love, hope, patience, kindness, acceptance, tolerance, gratitude, and laughter. Bring that into this situation, and then that will be resolved. So, I don't know if that's not a, there's not a clear cut, like, oh, then we're going to do this, this, and this. I mean, sometimes when there are, I have taken them back to the big book, and I've taken them back to the literature. When, when the program starts slipping, I'll go, okay, let's get back to the basics. And the basics are in the literature. That's where I find it. And we will talk about what is in the literature. Because that's, that's our textbook. That's our program. And if they are starting to be like, well, you know, whatever, blah, 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 then that's where we go into back in the literature. No one is so important as to make me feel so small as to make me lose my absence. So, I'll give you a class. Oh, the question is how do I handle, like, food situation. Like, like, peer pressure, let's say. Peer pressure with food, right? So, uh, there's a story. I was, I was four years absent. So, relatively new, right? I mean, to me, you're a newcomer until you get ten years or more of absence. So, let, let's just be clear about that, okay? Um, and so, I, I was relatively new, like four years of absence. I was, it was like I'd gone with a bunch of uh, friends to New Orleans for Mardi Gras. And this is like my first, like one of my big things is I don't want to, I don't feel like I don't fit in, I'm not part of the group. And that, that character defect carried with me until I was in my, probably into my 18, 19 years of absence. So just, just remember those character defects just go, oh, I get went to OA yesterday, so now my character defects are gone. Oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. No, they're going to keep coming back. But they're going to, they're going to, so there's layers. 
So I was, I was finally like, I feel like I fit in with a group. I was going from town to New Orleans with a group of friends. We were going to, we were going to this restaurant for brunch. It was going to be like, I'm thinking, great, brunch food and easily, omelets, stuff like that. Couldn't find out the fixed free menu, and all they had on the menu was chicken alakeen. Now, I don't know what chicken alakeen is, but it's biscuits with a white gravy sauce. And of course it's like, and then I'm going like, can I have... Like, and then I'm at the head of the table. For some reason, I'm at the head of the table. And I'm going, like, to the waiter, can I, do you have anything else? No, well, I have this chicken a king. And then they're like, I can't, I, I can't. I'll just have a glass of milk and orange juice. And my friend, the people on the table are like, well, come on, it's just chicken a king. You can eat the chips. Why not? Like, go for it. Right? And I'm dying on the inside. I'm dying on the inside because, one, I wasn't feeling part of the group. Right? And so I literally, which is maybe that's what you want to do, you feel like you fit in, right? And that's how you go for the food, is because you feel like you want to fit in. I almost ate pasta because I felt like everyone else was eating pasta. All my friends were eating pasta, so I wanted to eat pasta. My sponsor said it's because you wanted to fit in with the rest of the group. So anyway, then I met this, this whole restaurant, and I was, my food, me was the focus of attention about my food. So I got up and I went to the bathroom, and... Uh, and then I stopped by the major D station on the way out. And I said, listen, I'm, I don't eat flour and sugar. Is there anything else in the kitchen that, or is there anything else I could have besides the chicken alki? And the major D said, well, we might have some leftover cold chicken from the last night. I said, okay, great. So, so they brought me a plate of cold chicken and fresh fruit. And everyone at the table looked at my food and went like, I don't know what you're having. <laughs> so, should it, would I have given in and had the chicken king and broke my absence? Nobody, no one, nothing is worth me giving up my absence. Period. That's why we say my absence got to be the most important thing in my life. And what's not, then when some man becomes more important, when some job becomes more important, when something else becomes more important, then it will take away my absence. And then I will lose all of those. So, no person, no situation is worth it to, for you to die. Right? Or, Thank you. Oh, thank you very much, Carol. Thank you. About 16, 17 years ago, you told me don't buy my own And I'm going to know is like, how do you remain humble? Like, you know, if you, like, you have a zillion years of absence. I do not think you're hot shit. <laughs> so the, the question is, how do I not buy my press releases and how do I remain humble and don't think that I'm hot shit? Um, I, I'm a compulsive reader. Food humbles me. Food. I mean, that's where I, you know, a lot of times you hear these questions like, so how has an old timer? How do you keep your program fresh? Are you not a compulsive reader? Do you not have food going? Hi, I'm here. Let's go playing. Let's go party. Let's have a good time. And you go like, okay, my pants get a little tight, right? So I'm, I'm like, I know that I don't have the answers. I just know that I, like, I'm a compulsive reader, and I actually prefer to sit in the back and listen. And that's why this is my home group because I don't get to speak. I don't, it's not like, you know, we're round robin or sharing. I don't get to speak at this meeting. And I love that. 
because I get to become one of meaning. And I, this meaning has made it so it's now 40 years and above. It makes me a little uncomfortable. I mean, it was, I, can't, I can't change the meaning, the meaning, you know, for the length of absence. So, don't buy your friggin' press releases. Because you know what? What was told to me, for every Palm Sunday, there's a crucifixion. And I go, like, got it. So, now, do I have peace of mind? And do I feel like, after 40 years, I have a lot, a lot of experience that I can share? Yes. But, do I have the answer to all your problems? No. Do you have the answer to all my problems? No. So I know if that's how, how I stay humble. Uh, thank you so much. Which step was the most transformative for you and why? Which step was the most transformative for me and why? Step four. I hated myself so much and I was a piece of shit that, that, that like, literally... And I get, I get, I'm cutting on this speech, so you guess what? If you want to bleep that out, you can. Um, so when I did a fourth step, and I shared it with the fourth and fifth, I shared it, I was still here. And I don't want to write fourth step, because I'm afraid that it was like if I pulled that one string of writing my fourth step, that I would go crazy. And you'd have to lock me up. So when I didn't go crazy... And I was still like, this is, this is terrible. This is who I am. So be it. And then as I started, as, as my life kept evolving, or as I started living more life, I go, oh, I wrote about this character defect, but I don't have it anymore. So it became very transformative for me to go like, oh, this is terrible. Do you like me or not? I don't care. It's me. It's me. times when I thought that, am I still abstinent? Yeah. Basically, I think it's like, am I still abstinent? So, I have a black and white abstinence. My black and white abstinence right now is no sugar and no flour. And for me, that's what it's kind of, I mean, you know, and, and it's evolved over many years because in the very beginning, I didn't eat, I don't, I don't eat ketchup, right? But I eat barbecue sauce. Don't ask me the difference, right? I don't eat ketchup, but I use cocktail sauce with shrimp. Don't ask me the difference. It don't make any difference whether it makes sense to you or not to me. There's a classic story I love to tell. And this is, um, this is many years ago, many years ago, when I had the three meal, re- uh, three meal a day restriction. And I had a meal of sugar-free frozen yogurt and sugar-free carob chips and potato chips. And that was my lunch. And I'm going like, oh my God, I think it's like seven, eight years absent, which is the worst time, right? Seven, eight years is the worst time. And so, um, I mean, if you're, listen, if you're in your seventh year, eighth year of absence, bless your heart, just remember it's going to get better. And just stay, just make it through being a newcomer and just get to ten years. That's the bottom line. 
So I was, I had this meal, and I'm like, oh my god, am I absent? I don't know if I'm absent. Oh my god, I don't know. Gee, I don't know. You know, and then I said, okay, Terrell, did you eat sugar? No, I did not, because it was sugar-free absent and sugar-free characters. Terrell, did you eat flour? No, I did not. Terrell, did you have a fourth meal? No, it was a meal. Then Terrell, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and that's why I, that's why I live my abstinence. So, now you might follow me and go like, you call that abstinence? You call that? Woo. But you know what? Your abstinence will kill me and my abstinence will kill you. So that's how I kind of go like, all I know is I'm still happy, joyous, and free. I found an internal peace. And... I don't know. So a lot of times I just have to go shut up. Now, I, I, if I ate one bite of German chocolate cake, one bite of German chocolate cake, and I put it in my mouth and go like, German chocolate cake, it's German chocolate cake, I broke my absence, I got to over again. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts. Black and white, my absence is black and white. Because I heard Renette in the days from, I, I used to go to AA meetings a lot when I was new because we had, we had a wing there for strength. 40 years ago, 40 plus years ago, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of strength in OA. So we went to Amy's and I hear like, did you drink? No, you did not. Then you're still a miracle. So it was like this bottom line, did you drink? As long as you did not drink, there was hope. So I, if you did not break your abstinence, you have hope. But once you break that abstinence, you're lost. And so that rigidity or that seriousness about abstinence has carried over to me and it was t- I was told when I came in to eat is to die and I said I haven't I'm not, no I just I, you know I just got them binging out there I'm not dead to eat is to die and that what they mean is you die on the inside first and the body's waiting to catch up so that's why to eat is to die I'm sorry I'm so, have you ever doubted that bottom line? And if so, what do you do? I would talk to a sponsor. And it literally was like, I don't, I mean, it, it, it's pretty clear cut. Yeah. It's pretty clear cut. So, I mean, like, like I said, I mean, it's pretty clear cut. In, in my mind, I know exactly what it is. So, it's um, so it sounded like before that, you know, life wasn't how you wanted it, you didn't have to explain you wanted it to get back. Now, once you weren't anymore, and you still weren't fit, how did you deal with that? Well, the question is now, since I, I'm not, I'm, after I got absent, my life didn't fall into place immediately, how did I deal with that? Progress, not perfection. So I just kept seeing progress in my life. And, I, and at seven years, I didn't see progress. Seven years absent, I'm going like, I'm miserable here. I'm freaking miserable. And they, those old timers lie to me that it doesn't get better. They just misery loves company and they want us more people up there with them. I mean, I'm counting on the dashboard going like, they lied. They didn't lie. What happened is after five years, you become start believing, you start buying your press releases. After five years, that's no, you're pretty hot stuff, you know, like, you got five years. The researchers of the human ego comes back after five years, and it takes control of you again. And it literally says, well, I'm blah, 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 you know. And then you get beaten up again. 
Because as long as I'm living my life based upon my human ego, I am destined for misery. Destined for misery. So that by, by continuing to work a 12-step program, by continuing participating in this program, I continue to see growth. And after 18, 19 years, I'm crying to my, to my sister, going like, I just don't feel like I fit in. I had this wonderful 50, 40th birthday party. Everyone was there. It was like, like maybe 100 people were there. But I didn't feel like I fit in. And I'm just like, this is the best it gets. This is the best it gets. Okay. So be it. I don't know, a couple years later, that's no longer an issue. So it's just a continually growing process. Right? So, I, so what if I'm not there? Oh well. Oh well. Cats. Oh, wait. Time up. That's it.